Welcome to the Kupinger Coal Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinhardt. I'm an analyst and advisor at Kupinger Coal Analysts. In each edition of this podcast, we have one guest joining me, a fellow analyst, another interesting partner, and we have a 15 minutes chat or so around a current topic. And the current topic for today, we will be talking about zero trust. And I'm joined by my colleague, by Martin Kupinger, who is founder and principal analyst at Kupinger Coal. Hi, Martin. Welcome, Matthias, and welcome to all the people listening to this podcast. Okay, I've already mentioned it, zero trust. This is a concept that is actually around quite some time, but it's really gaining more importance just right now with more and more people being forced to work from home, work from untrusted networks. What is the concept in a nutshell of zero trust from your point of view? So, so what is the concept in a nutshell? Um, zero trust um, sort of appeared... Um, when, when some people started thinking about what is the future beyond the traditional way of working. The traditional way of working means you have a corporate-owned PC uh, working in the office, uh, accessing internal services. But we all have seen um, certain trends over the time, which is bring your own device, which is out for a while. Recently, far more work from home. And... On the other hand, this shift of services to the cloud. So with, I would say probably most of the large organizations the, these days following a cloud-first strategy for deploying their services. So this traditional picture of I have a secure perimeter, I have my internal network or my internal networks uh, in various zones, and I have secure devices, and that's where I'm working in. This approach doesn't work the same way it did anymore. The reality is we have devices, and when we look at the current scenario, um, we have a lot of privately owned devices running in a home office, connecting over the Wi-Fi in this house to the internet and ending up at a service which either runs within the organization or even more common, which is a cloud service. And the idea of zero trust is that we are operating in a an environment where we don't have this single point of trust or this where we can trust. This is, we trust our firewall. We trust the configuration of the um, client uh, PC. Uh, we trust our internal network. It is about working in a less trusted environment where a lot of elements need to be probably proved more often and where we can't trust in, you know, in each and every thing but where we need other approaches for achieving an acceptable level of security. Yeah, I think the, the most important point from, from my perspective is really that the, 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 the that we're shifting away from protecting systems, from protecting infrastructure, from protecting applications, to actually moving towards protecting what really needs to be protected, which is the data and the processes that we are using. So it's really making sure that, that the data is secure um, on devices and in the services that we're using and that the communication between both sides, when you think of a, of a simple client-server scenario, that this connection between uh, the systems is well protected as well. So it's data protection and it's connection protection. Yeah, there, there, are, there are a couple of things. in. So one of the most important sentences around this entire zero trust concept, maybe to start with this first, is verify 
don't trust or don't trust, verify. It's about verifying, is this a, a secure enough device? Is this the right person? Um, Etc. That's one element. The other element is, as, as you said, Matthias, very important. It is shifting away from a network-centric security towards a security that focuses on uh, more and um, prioritizes other areas. So it's also interesting that at the beginning, uh, this thing was called Zero Trust Networks. And at the end, the network in the sense of the technical network security uh, is probably of lesser importance. It is about, I have devices accessing services. And at the end, I need to pr protect data. And if you look at this chain from the device or the flow from the device to that data to that information. So we have the device, which communicates over network or a series of networks. So your home Wi-Fi, the public internet, um, the network of the cloud service provider um, to a system uh, where an application runs. So the system that might be also something where you don't have something running in a container, et cetera, but think about system, an application runs and the application then accesses certain data. So it's a, a series of, of communication steps and a flow of, of information. And apparently we need to understand all of that, but we also need to understand uh, what are the areas where things can really go wrong. If you use a secure communication channel, so if you, for instance, use um, TLS-protected access from the device to a cloud service, then the communication is encrypted when flowing over the network. This is not our major concern. The concern from the application perspective is, is this really Martin Kuppinger accessing? Can we verify that this is Martin Kuppinger, specifically if he uses a device he's never used before? Um, so can we trust that device? Or what do we need to ensure that our data isn't maliciously used? So we need to look at these things and look at what do we need to verify within that to provide a certain level of access. It's far more about thinking in risk, in context, in repeated and multi-step or multi-level verification at multiple places, and then protecting data and thinking about what is required for data access and how do I treat devices and how do I, at the end, that's the other side of the thing, how do I allow everyone to access what he needs, but in a secure manner. Yeah, I think it's it's really that that triangle between the user, the device, and the actual context that needs to be considered when thinking of, of well-defined policies and their continuous enforcement to make sure we have clearly defined policies which are capable of deciding whether an access is um, actually desirable and, and normal and should be allowed or when it should be intercepted or should be really terminated. So we have the user, as you said, we have the, the, the a really a trusted identity, but we also have a trusted device, or at least we have information about a device. Maybe it's registered. It's, it's, it's well known. It has been seen in that context already before. And we have context information. If really somebody joins from an unexpected network, um, where he never has been or here he should not be, maybe in, uh, abroad or somewhere else, then you really can apply this information to, to, to 
verify this connection um, with clearly defined policies. I think that is a, the, the new challenge, actually, to, to understand which access is desirable and which should be prevented. Yes, and this changes the zero trust paradigm from, okay, if someone passed my parameter, he's good. If not, he's bad. To, we need to verify to check at far more places uh, and we to do, need to do it far more frequently. I think this is basically the fundamental change here. Okay. Um, now, now that many organizations are thrown in that situation, and, and of course we know that the traditional remote access approach via VPNs and all that kind of stuff really has proven to be not adequate just right now. We've seen that live and, 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 and we've, we've seen that happening. What would be then, once this crisis is uh, over, uh, where would an organization want to start moving towards such a zero trust concept, such a paradigm shift? I think that is something that cannot be just executed by rip and replace. This is some, some ongoing process. What would be good first starting points? I would say yes, it, and I agree. It's a, uh, an ongoing process, and for most organizations, it's already happening. So uh, we have mobile users, so we use different types of devices. Many organizations have some sort of pre-your-own device access, and if it's only allowing email access from a smartphone or uh, access to Zoom, to Teams, to other things from, from a smartphone, um, and most organizations also have some sort of cloud-first strategy. What I believe is important is uh, let's start at the backend side um, to treat everything as a service. So when you are not using already public cloud services, um, try to expose your other services in a way that they, so to speak, appear in an as-a-service manner so that they are sort of your private cloud services and you have the public cloud services. Well, every service is accessible in that way. So don't have this notion of I route everything first to my internal network and then out or to my internal services. Treat it as uh, people use a device to access a service. And what you also will need is an identity management which covers everything of that. We have a lot of research out around our concept of identity fabrics, which is how can you provide access for everyone and everything to every service. I think this is a very essential element um, to get uh, to move forward in that space. And then the third area is um, devices. Figure out ways to use devices at various levels of security and at various levels of, I would say, effort and administration and maybe also restrictiveness in, in some sense. So that can be some forms of workplace delivery which work easy and flexible to devices where you say this would be really uh, working in a defined environment and understand where you can allow other types of devices to be used for what and then go as part of this entire, for instance, identity concept towards adaptive authentication, which also includes a risk and context-based authentication. So work on these strategic elements, so devices, um, shift to the cloud of services or building your private clouds really consequently going cloud first and go for the identity fabric with all it involves, includes, such as adaptive authentication, flexible federation, and all the other elements. That's it. 
Okay, that sounds that sounds like like a very straightforward approach, and I think that also goes hand in hand with with the way that organizations are working right now. So um, many people think of this three phase approach. So first of all, respond to the crisis, and that is where we are just right now. Um, people are moving to cloud services just for the reasons that you mentioned, because they want to have access to their services, and if they are not accessible via VPN because the VPN is failing, um, then you need to have a, a different way of working. So that is this response to crisis. Then the next phase, hopefully soon, will be the recover phase. So to really um, um, use all what you have and all what that that you added right now to get to an a re, to, a, to a stable and 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 sound recovery phase. And the next step usually would be something like rebuild, build new services, and obviously leverage what you have learned in the meantime. And I think. Uh, this first step that many organizations just did moving to cloud-based services and realizing that these work well as, um, as well, um, that maybe that is a good starting point also for moving to a more, more um, yeah, zero-trust-like approach of working by just having networks in between that you cannot trust, but you have adequate means in place to um, making this work safe and sound and secure. Okay, um, that was actually also some kind of summary from my side. So thank you very much, Martin, for joining me and for explaining the, the details behind the concept of Zero Trust with a not that appropriate name, actually. Um, but the concept is interesting and it's really relevant. Um, thank you very much for joining me and looking forward to having you in a further edition of this podcast again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.